Yes, hello there. Welcome in. It is the latest edition of our movies podcast from then and now. We are, we've seen that on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, however you found this show, a social media link, or if you found us, let's say, uh, through TuneIn and their fine podcasting service, subscribe to the show uh, via Apple Podcasts, via Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, anywhere that you find podcasts through Stitcher, through Spreaker, all of them, just subscribe to We've Seen That. Uh, and then the show comes automatically to you whenever there is a new one. So we're back, we're ramped up, we are anxious, we are ready to go. I am merely TJ Reeves. I am based here in the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater area, West Central Florida. He is the famous Jay based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I always love his insight on all of these movies from the 80s, 90s, and more. Partner, it is good to be back with you here on We've Seen That. I agree. It's good to be back with you as well. And the the movie we're talking about today is is quite timely, would you say? (laughs) Yes. Uh, For those that are finding us right now, it has been as strange a time as anybody could imagine with the global pandemic of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And so we have all been sequestered. We have all been isolating. We have all been waiting for when can we venture out because of how dangerous and how serious this is and again we're not going to make light of of what has transpired because obviously jay there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands who have been sick there are hundreds of thousands who have died so we understand the seriousness uh, seriousness of this but it's only appropriate if we're looking back like we do on movies that there was a movie 25 years ago that was right on the money about what could happen And it's also interesting because this movie has now become very popular with everybody pent up, sequestered, and isolated. Tell them more. What are we talking about on this episode of the show? Some people may think you're referring to 2011's Contagion, which starred Matt Damon. But in this particular instance, we're going to talk about one that might not have been quite as on the mark. We're talking about one that's 25 years old, 1995, Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, and Outbreak. Yes, so that is our subject, a humongous all-star cast. And uh, without a a doubt, this one was the number one movie in America for a little while. It was way ahead of its time. So let's let's do this and do it the right way as we always do on We've Seen That and, uh, and get things rolling right now. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured. Bound for a pet store in America, the animal carries a deadly virus. Now, I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps the world, is in our hands. We cannot... We dare not refuse this burden. I'm confident that each of you will do his duty. God forgive us. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. We got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. If that bug gets out of there, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. 
I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam, I want to save these people same as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. Try to remain calm. Many people are dying and are going to continue to die unless we find this monkey. There will be panic the likes of which we have never seen. There you are. Attention, Portland residents of Seattle, citizens of San Diego, residents of Atlanta, Denver, residents of Detroit, attention, Dallas residents. There you have Outbreak from March 10th, 1995, and it opened number one. It toppled Dumb and Dumber, the classic Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels, which was number one the week before. And this one was a big hit. It was number one for a while. It was number one for three weeks, and it was not uh, knocked off its uh, perch by Tommy Boy, if you will. <laughs> Were you a fan of, <laughs> of Tommy Boy or Dumb and Dumber? I can honestly say Dumb and Dumber, yes. Tommy Boy, no. And I, it, this is one of those rare occasions uh, in, in which you and I are doing a movie, and I'm not overwhelmed by the one that we're doing. Now, I should say that it is appropriate, uh, it is timely, it is an anniversary, and without a doubt, this is a mega cast of, of stars, Academy Award winners, Academy Award nominees. So I, I get that the film was big, I get why we're doing it. But for example, until I went back and rewatched this for us to do the show, we've seen that I hadn't seen it a second time. I got to confess that to the audience, Jay. We're always good about being uh, honest with the audience. I hadn't watched it again since the first time I saw it back in uh, back in 1995 uh, when it was first out. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've seen this multiple times or just recently, but that's me. Well, I actually saw it twice at the theaters, and it made $189.8 million at the theater. <laughs> so I contributed to that worldwide gross that it had. And to show how big of a hit it was, it was in release for 297 days. These days, that would not happen because they've got it all planned out where it's going to be on, on demand and, and you know all the various streaming services basically within three or four months of its release date because they need to get it in the theaters, make the money, and get out. But that this was a big hit. And I, I enjoy the movie. I thought it was a lot more fun back in the day. Obviously, with stuff going on in recent times, it's kind of a little more serious, and you kind of notice some of its uh, flaws, if you will. But, yeah, let's, let's talk about the cast a little bit. You mentioned All-Star Cast. Let's kind of kick off with Dustin Hoffman. Do you have a favorite Dustin Hoffman movie by chance? Oh, without a doubt, you and I, I think, are going to agree. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, immediately, the only movie that immediately comes to mind with him is Robert Redford. Dustin Hoffman, All the President's Men, which is the uh, true reenactment of the Watergate scandal in the 1970s as they're playing uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the reporters that broke that story. I know he's in The Graduate. I know he's in Kramer versus Kramer and a lot of other movies. Tootsie uh, is another one, but uh, All the President's Men comes to mind immediately for me with Dustin Hoffman. What about you? Love, love All the President's Men. I actually watched The Graduate fairly recently as you mentioned we've kind of all been in quarantine so i've caught up on a few things that i've either never seen or hadn't seen in a long time and the graduates it's a pretty fun movie but yeah if if you want to say if i had to pick a dustin hoffman movie it would be all the president's men great go. movie especially for people that are fans of journalism <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Would you agree on that? <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, the days before we had uh, fake news. Well, and and keep in mind um, that that was such a time period of distrust uh, from the from the White House, from the government, from what happened, and it was it was all being uncovered. Uh, by the media, and you, you and I, we should say to the audience, are in and around the media. I've been involved in local and national sports and sports media uh, for basically my adult life, going on 30 years. You've been in and around the media, done some local, done some even some national, some different stuff, in and around Dallas-Fort Worth. So, of course, we're going to gravitate to um, to a media movie. So I, I'm sure there are some that are arguing that he was so much better in Kramer versus Kramer um, or or maybe better in Tootsie, where he got nominated as well, or, or even hey, how about two thousand three Runaway Jury? He's fantastic too. If I had to be pinned down to one, though, it's all the President's Men for Dustin Hoffman. So the female lead is Renee Russo. Same same question. What movie do you associate her most with, Jay? Oh, that's tough. I, I can't say just one. Her her obviously her debut was Major League. We love her in the Lethal Weapon movies, but once again, you know, if you want to narrow it down, I'd probably say Ten Cup, where she was Dr. Molly Griswold. Yes, she's opposite Kevin Costner as the psychologist trying to help him fix his golf game. I'm, I'm going to surprise you here. I love her in Ten Cup. Uh, I loved her in uh, the uh, in Major League and, and a couple of other ones. But the Thomas Crown Affair is my favorite, where she's opposite Pierce Brosnan trying to catch a thief, trying to catch the art thief as the as the insurance fraud agent uh, for the for the insurers of the paintings that have been stolen. And that's a remake movie. Uh, fantastic. So I, I just I associate her with that movie, and she's been in a bunch of a bunch of others uh, along the way. Uh, but that that one uh, goes solid for career. Don't forget, oh, yeah. get shorties another when she's yes. real good. We love her uh, in that. Uh, so, where do you want to go next on this cat? Because again, it's a who's who. I'd on the say cast. Morgan Freeman. Let's uh, kind of yeah. go down our little cast list here. Morgan Freeman, and obviously, you know, he's been in a ton of movies, so it probably would be hard to pin down just one for a lot of people. But I'm going to go with the one that he was in directly before Outbreak, and that was <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption. You and I agree way too much, and so yes, I mean driving, <laughs> driving Miss Daisy, yes, uh, and, and you've got uh, numerous other ones that you could go to uh, before and after that. Phenomenal actor, phenomenal also uh, as a voiceover talent. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, how, how other than uh, other than Red, the the prison uh, buddy of Andy Dufresne, Tim Robbins, uh, and the Shawshank Redemption Academy Award winner. And it was right before this. So Morgan Freeman was smoking. Uh, again, in the, ti- in the time period here, uh, Freeman had just done that one. Renee Russo had just done, uh, I believe, the Lethal Weapon movies that she was in and was about to make Tin Cup what the next year was in the process of making Tin Cup while they made Outbreak, right? Right, yeah. It came out the following year in 96. And don't forget... You know, Morgan Freeman, Dr. Alex Cross, and Kiss the Girls, and Along Came oh, the Spider. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's played God. He's played the president. <laughs> I mean, you name it. He's been a God in, in Bruce Almighty's President Deep Impact. He's had a lot of great roles. Immediately following Outbreak, he was in Seven with Brad Pitt. Oh. I mean, you just ton of big movies for Morgan Freeman. And obviously, we could do an entire show based on how much we love him. Next up on our little list uh, cast list is the now controversial 
respectable actor, but back in the day, the very respected actor, Kevin Spacey. Do you have a Kevin Spacey film you like? The one that comes to me immediately uh, for Kevin Spacey, opposite Samuel L. Jackson in the dramatic thriller The Negotiator, where they are Chicago police hostage negotiators, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Danny Roman. This will probably be a future we've seen that. It's a 1999 film, if I'm right, either 98 or 99, Famous Jay. Uh, I believe it was 98. Yeah, yeah so, he's, he's a negotiator opposite Samuel L. Yeah, yeah and he, he did a good job in that. He was um, probably the one I think of most with him or kind of associated with him that probably had to be my favorite is The Usual Suspects. Yes. Where he played Verbal Kent and, spoiler alert, uh, might have been Kaiser Sose. Kaiser Sose. <laughs> and, but, you know, obviously American Beauty he was well known for. Tremendous. And a lot of people associated him with the Netflix series House of Cards. Oh, yeah. Most recently but, as President Frank Underwood. And then obviously, uh, basically... Uh, booted off of that show for all of the personal allegations and even criminal uh, allegations against him uh, for sexual abuse, sexual assault. Uh, Kevin Sp- Kevin Spacey, uh, a known, decorated, tremendously talented actor, but a- at the end of his career now known for scandal and known for the wrong things. But yeah, he's in this as well. And this is like the Ginsu steak knives of the 1980s and the commercials. How much would you pay now? $19.95, $29.95. But wait, there's more on the cast on this, Jay. Yeah, we also have Donald Sutherland. And he in this one he is the bad guy. If you want you want to watch somebody just to get mad at him, watch General Donald McClintock as his character. <laughs> and obviously Donald Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland's father, he's been in a ton of movies. And you know, m- much like many of the rest of his All Star cast, we could list off twenty of them that were good. But I really liked him in Disclosure, where he played the head of the company, Michael Douglas movie. Did you see yes, that one? Yes, fantastic. And what was that, about two years before this, 92, 93, something like that? It was like 94. That? It was the year, exactly. The year before. And in fact, it was only a few months, because it came out around Christmas, and then Outbreak came out in March. So it was just preceded Outbreak. And he played Garv, and he was kind of in charge of the company that was doing a merger. And of course, they were also dealing with the sexual harassment scandal with Demi Moore and uh, Michael Douglas's characters. Love that. Love him in that movie. And then right after this, of course, he's with Kevin Spacey uh, in A Time to Kill, the John Grisham novel come to life with Matthew McConaughey. And again, Samuel L. Jackson's on trial for his life. And and Sutherland is the drunk mentor of Matthew McConaughey's law character. Loved his Loved his supporting role in that movie as Lucian, I believe it is. Um, what a, what a moment without even having to say anything when uh, when McConaughey as Jacob Brigance is having to give his big closing argument uh, in the case, and Lucian has been disbarred and has never been back in a courtroom since he got disbarred, but he shows up in a suit, sober, standing in the back of that room. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now while I'm saying that to you. That That's a great example of the power of these uh, actors where they don't even have to say anything sometimes and, and get the and get the point across. It's kind of like when you think about Morgan Freeman sitting in the in the jail cell uh, wondering if Andy Dufresne, if Tim Robbins uh, Red is wondering, is Tim Robbins going to take his life? And he doesn't have to say anything, even though he's the narrator through the whole movie. It just, I mean, there are just certain times and certain moments where the story, the acting, the presence of the actor, it, it helps so much. So what do we know? But yeah, Donald Sutherland goes all the way back to the original MASH movie. Remember with Elliot Gould before the MASH television show uh, over a 40, 50 year career. Great movie, too. I believe Robert Altman directed that great movie. Really, really fun movie. 
And we still have another on the all-star cast of Outbreak that we're reviewing here, right? Yeah, um, a lot of people are going to know this actor from his role on um, Grey's Anatomy. I believe he was McDreamy. Correct. I've been McSteamy. I get my Grey's Anatomy doctors <laughs> confused. But um, my favorite movie of Patrick Dempsey's was in the eighties, late 80s, Can't Buy Me Love, where he played Ronald Miller, the lawn boy who had – uh, his relationship with Cindy Mancini, played by the late, great Amanda Peterson, who was one of my first crushes. But he's been in a lot of stuff that we, we've also seen, and I believe both of us have actually had the pleasure of meeting this gentleman. Have you met him? Is that How right? About the, I have, yes. Well, he was also in Sweet Home Alabama, right, I think, as the as the husband that's waiting on Reese Witherspoon. and she He goes, was kind of like the JFK Jr. type <laughs> of guy that it proposed to Reese Witherspoon, and she had to go get divorced from Josh Lucas first. Well, I, honestly, I can't really point to a movie that I know him for, but Grey's Anatomy's been on in my household with Mrs. Reeves for years and years and years. And, of course, he got written out of that show. His character got killed. Uh, on that show so there was no coming back several characters they kept killing literally killing characters off on that show so mcdreamy is gone uh off of that show but yeah you and i have actually had brushes with him and not in hollywood and not at movie premieres and not not anything to do with acting we both had something to do with him being involved with racing i got to meet him at the indianapolis 500 when he drove the pace car uh, you know, at the time frame right now that we're releasing uh, Outbreak here, it, it would have been the Indianapolis 500 for this year, but because of COVID-19, they're postponing it till later in the year. But McDreamy was the pace car driver, Jay Betzel, at the Indy 500 2007. So I was around him. I got to interview him about what that was like, not one-on-one, but in a group setting. He's definitely the Hollywood honk. I mean, he had five different security and PR people and, and, uh, and associates around him, keeping people off of him. He was definitely a big deal when I was around him and you met him in a similar situation and setting right 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 yeah when I met him the same thing he was involved in race cars and he could not have been any cooler it was kind of a little pool of like four or five of us that were going to talk to him I didn't have him like you said one-on-one but could not have been a nicer guy more professional and everything and you mentioned both of us kind of um, met him via our connections to sports and sports media and I just kind of wanted to throw this out before we dive into the movie so as I mentioned a few minutes ago this movie outbreak came out March 10th, 1995. So roughly 25 years later, March 11th, 2020, I was attending the Dallas Mavericks uh, Denver Nuggets game. Okay. And we knew a lot of stuff with the surrounding the coronavirus was going on. And actually part of the reason I went to this game was um, I went in the media capacity. I went to go work and write about it. But the main reason I went was there was a lot of talk that after this day, the NBA was going to say no fans in the arenas for games. So I'm like, the NBA is my favorite sport to go to. I love going to the Maverick games. And to me, it's just a blast. So I was like, you know, on the off chance that they shut down the the media access because they had already uh, not had media in the locker rooms, if you remember that correctly. And that that was enough talk right there. We're like, oh, my gosh, are we ever going to get back in the locker room? So on and so forth. And so I decided to go that night. And the photographer and I were driving over from Fort Worth to Dallas to go to the game. And we were both kind of thinking, should we go? I don't really know. Maybe we should see how it feels. And I remember very well telling the photographer I was with, telling him, if we see Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks owner, if we see Mark Cuban at the game, then we'll know we're safe because Mark Cuban will know what's going on before everyone else. You know, you just kind of <laughs> you feel confident in something like that, right? So when we get to the game, the Mavericks, they were so professional about everything. They were giving out hand sanitizer, these little things of Purell, and the arena was packed. I mean, it was loud. He obviously, the Denver Nuggets are a really good team. Mavericks having a good season with Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, et cetera. And it was a fun night. But while we were there, 
I've told this story a handful of times, but basically I just say all hell started breaking loose yes. because that was at the same time the Utah Jazz game was going on where they had had Rudy Gobert test positive for the coronavirus. So that game got canceled while ours is continuing. And then there was supposed to be a game following ours. It was going to be, I believe, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Sacramento Kings. was a, It was like an ESPN doubleheader because it was on a Wednesday night, right? Right. So while our game is going on, the um, – the NBA sends out a press release that they are suspending the season. And, you know, in the first half, we had seen all the Woj bombs from Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN <laughs> saying that it was a done deal, that the season was going to be going to, to no fans. And then following that was when the news came out about Rudy Gobert. And then, of course, they immediately suspended the season. And it was supposed to be suspended following the games of this day. So our game continued. And everybody's looking, you know, it's really surreal. We're watching Mark Cuban bounce back and forth, talking to the ESPN TV crew. Doris Burke was there calling the game. He went and did an interview with Tom Rinaldi where he was out in the front of all this saying he was going to make sure the people that worked at the arena got taken care of for the games, got postponed and stuff. And then afterwards, of course, it comes out that Doris Burke had the coronavirus. Correct. So all, you know, obviously I didn't, I wasn't very close to her because I'm at the top of the lower level. She's down at the bottom on the court side, but we were probably both in the same proximity in the media room. So of course, I'm completely worried now thinking that how stupid I was to go to a building full of 18,000 people while this is breaking out. Right. So of course I quarantined myself. And then as everything goes, obviously the next day, the players championship was about the last real sports. We had the golf tournament where they had the first round played with fans and then, you know, suspended the turn or actually canceled the tournament that night about 1130, my time, fourth Dallas time. And it's just crazy to see how things just literally that first domino fell with Rudy Gobert. Testing I was going to say, you know, and, once, once and then it that went to, happened, oh, is the NCAA going to happen? Or is these conference tournaments going to happen? It was so scary. And like, I literally just think of the irony of the fact that this was almost 25 years to the day that outbreak came out of the theater. <laughs> now that we're reviewing it. And I was going to say, jumping in, that once there was a face to it, an NBA player has tested positive. The NBA, as you mentioned, reacted immediately, but then the the chain reaction, the domino effect, whatever metaphor you want to use, of one sports league after another. The NCAA said, we're not going to be able to play the NCAA tournament. All the conferences then said, hey, our conference tournaments that are in progress, we're not playing them because there's not, I mean, by, by the next day, by Thursday, that was being shut down. The golf was being shut down. The NASCAR that was in progress was being shut down. The NHL. And sports really was at the forefront of, of showing and saying to the rest of the country, this is serious enough that we got to stop. And eventually everybody's going inside and everybody's going to sequester and everybody's going to, except for essential uh, people, which again, that, that now has become a very debated what is essential, what is not. Food, drink, hospitals, uh, fuel for your car, things like that. What, what's going to still be open? Stores. What's still going to be open um, here? And so... Uh, all of that in and around sports, and you're right, it is wild, wild that the movie came out, you said the 10th, and the night you were talking about, or the 11th, and the night you were talking about was either the 11th or the 12th. Um, March 12th is the day the chain reaction went on on the Thursday. I do know that, with everything everywhere shutting down. And by that weekend, we were all isolating and, and did so for weeks and months, depending on when you're hearing 
uh, the podcast here. Uh, one more. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't you supposed to come visit me? Yes. For one of the conference tournaments. I was headed. I was headed weekend. to you for the Conference USA basketball tournament in Frisco, Texas, on that Saturday. And obviously, by that Thursday at lunchtime, everything was shut down and called off. So the latest time that we would have gotten to see each other, we didn't get to see each other uh, with all of this and, and all the craziness. One more name that we need well, to one mention. One last sports note on this. You know, every yeah. time some huge news story happens, there's always somebody that's a beneficiary. I just want to point out that the Houston Astros are the beneficiary because they were just getting raked over the coals every day <laughs> for the cheating scandal until this happened. So they, they've managed to, to sneak out of this one okay. For, for the moment until until sports comes back and then the, the Astros will probably be right back to having their their batters getting beaned when they're at home plate. But um, but bring it back to the movies. You know, the big celebrity face with this was Tom Hanks. Remember, down, he was down in Australia and he was one of the first big no names to right. uh, test positive. Right. And so once once you started seeing uh, names in sports, names in entertainment, uh, politicians, owners of teams in sports, uh, every which direction, even the Prime Minister of England, Boris Johnson, ends up with it. The seriousness was definitely there. All right, so now as we bring it back to the movie, before we get into the actual movie, we got to mention one more name in the cast, and that's Cuba Gooding Jr. playing Major Salt. Correct. Although I do have to say somewhat humorously here, and again, uh, this is going to become apparent when we're talking about it. I'm going to knock this movie playfully over and over again here. It's part of what we do when we see that. I I swear to you, with Dustin Hoffman saying his name, I I kept thinking that his name was Saul, like the biblical character or or the Jewish name or better call Saul. It's actually Salt. It's Major Salt. So Cuba Gooding Jr. Right, the like salt and pepper. Salt, yeah, Q, yeah, a little salt. Uh, better, you know, uh, you know. There's a bunch of different ones, but uh, in any event, Academy Award winner later on, Jerry Maguire, uh, fantastic. As uh, Master uh, Sergeant Diver, uh, Carl Brashear in Men of Honor with uh, Robert Duvall. Phenomenal as radio, as the mentally disabled uh, gentleman that that was befriended by a high school football coach, a prominent high school football coach in South Carolina based on the true story. He is awesome as radio in the early 2000s. So Cuba Gooding Jr. even in this movie. I mean, my lord. For the cast that they got to be yeah, in Outbreak. I, I thought he was really good in Boys in the Hood. It's probably the first thing I saw him in. Right. And um, I also liked him in As Good As It Gets, the Jack Nicholson movie. And I know he won his Academy Award, I believe, for Jerry Maguire. So he's you, we mentioned that he's the fourth member of the cast who has Academy Awards because Kevin Spacey, Morgan Freeman, Dustin Hoffman have also all won Oscars. So just kind of to reiterate how great the cast is for this movie. And then lastly, before we dive into the plot, I want to mention the director, Wolfgang Peterson. Yes. Who had, you, you talk about guys that are in the middle of some good runs. In the mid-90s, he made Shattered 91 with Tom Berenger. Really fun movie if you've never seen it. But he, this little run he had in The Line of Fire in 93 with Clint Eastwood, Hello. Outbreak in 95, and then Air Force One in 97, and The Perfect Storm in 2000. So he had a little run of four really good movies. Boom, boom, boom. So and by have a, the a way... By the way, you mentioned in the line of fire, Clint Eastwood, Renee Russo opposite him. Uh, what is she? Uh, Special Agent Reigns, I think. Uh, they're uh, opposite uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, character, Frank. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, uh, and that he's a he's a heavy hitter in terms of the director and in terms of this movie. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, all right, so are you ready to get into it? I mean, we we've already laid out the premise, and everybody gets it. I think it's fascinating that so, fascinating that so many people have gone back in the last few weeks and few months to watch this and see what was all what it's all about. And what it's all about is originally a, an outbreak of a virus that was found in Zaire in Africa. What would have been around the time of the Vietnam War, the late 1960s. And the U.S. government, basically, and the medical part of the U.S. government uh, and the U.S. Army decides to cover up what they found with infected soldiers in an infected village, essentially. That's what's going to set the movie kind of into motion into the present day, was that the government knew about a virus from back in the late 1960s, and it's now coming back around. Remember, they destroyed the camp. They killed all the soldiers and everyone in the camp. <laughs> And the under, reason under the big the part guys, of the cover-up was they didn't right, want anybody to they killed everybody. Right, under the guise that they were coming back with medical supplies and help for the doctors yeah. and everybody dying, and instead they're coming back with a little miniature version of the A-bomb that's just going to wipe the entire area out. Uh, and then we had some 1995 special effects, by the way, on, on that, where, where we're dropping the A-bomb, and it sort of looks like it, it would have wiped everything out. And then again, we've got some stuff still standing and some stuff barely on fire after the A-bomb dropped. But anyway, we get the point. They, they wiped out the village and thought they had wiped out the virus, or so we think. Uh, instead, the deadly Ebola-like virus is going to come back around, Jay Betzel, and that's our movie. Yeah, and it's just, it's 28 years later, I believe. So it's, it's roughly, you know, three decades later is when it pops up. And that's when we, we kind of get introduced to um, Lieutenant Colonel Sam, or sorry, Colonel Sammy Daniels and Lieutenant Colonel Casey Shuler, who are, is Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman. And they're kind of going to be the ones we follow in, in figuring out what's going on with this virus. And they end up having a new recruit. It's Major Salt, who you mentioned earlier, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And, you know, I know I know you and I have talked about this off air, and, and you're not the biggest fan of this movie. I think it's, it's just a fun movie. And that's, like I said, part of the reason why it's a little more difficult to watch now with everything going on. Before, it was kind of just – it was a fun suspense thriller that just moves at a, just a rapid pace. You've got so much stuff happening so fast where, you know, obviously in the real world, as we found out with where we all become used to terms like antibodies and, you know, stuff like that. Now, now we understand how a lot of this works a lot better than we did back then. But it's just it's crazy to see it how, you know, eventually we get to a point where Dustin Hoffman is on TV showing a picture of a monkey saying, if you've seen this monkey, we need to find it within a couple of hours. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Host of this we'll, virus we'll get to that. That could save an entire city. Right. We'll get to that coming up. Uh, the dynamic, though, is that Hoffman as Colonel Sam Daniels and Rene Russo as uh, Roberta Keogh. They are, as we come to find out, exes. They used to be married. They are doctors. They are very high-strung, uh, but very talented, infectious disease doctors. And we find out that Renee Russo is leaving uh, because she is going to get a job at the CDC. Again, the Center of Disease Control is something we've heard so much about. It's based in Atlanta. And again, this movie's 25 years before what all we're dealing with with coronavirus and COVID-19 and hearing about CDC all the time. So she's going to get a job with the CDC, but you can tell the the two of them uh, were together, and and clearly uh, Hoffman as as Colonel Daniels, he's not over it. He he is still uh, he doesn't know how to make it right, but she's she's basically telling him while he goes to take care of what he has to go take care of 
that uh, she's leaving. He can take his stuff and uh, he can take all the pictures. She doesn't want to keep any of the pictures of he and her. He's not over her, and that's a and that's a big part of the movie. And that's intertwined throughout the plot. When yeah. she, she wants all him to have all the pictures. Well, but she has to yeah, keep the dogs. She has to pictures. keep the dogs, though, in this yeah. uh, movie. They have the dogs that they used to have. They're now staying with, with Hoffman. And yeah, she's going to keep the dogs and not only keep the dogs, but keep them for like five days while he goes off to take care of something else. Uh, and then that's what leads to the to the flare-up of this Ebola-like virus that's going to come back around and set the whole movie into motion. Yeah, and you know the, the crazy part of this whole thing is you know a lot of times when you look and you go, oh, this could have been prevented, dot, dot, dot. Well, the, the monkey that we call Betsy in this, you know, the reason the way she was even brought in was she was smuggled into the country. And uh, Jimbo, who's played by Patrick Dempsey, bribes the security guy to, to be able to, to take the monkey out of the the stabilization, the, the warehouse where they are. So, I mean, there's all kinds of shadiness that even brought <laughs> Betsy in the country in the first place. And, you know, and then the guy at the at the. Uh, animal store that didn't even want to buy her so he just lets betsy out into the wild i mean it's it's so crazy when you look at at several different things that started this whole this whole deal and it's just it's crazy to think about how that actually happened well the the premise is that the monkey is from zaire is from the village and we and we see that even after the i keep calling it the mini a bomb is dropped that the monkeys actually survived and the monkeys are infected with the virus but these would probably have to be descendants they wouldn't be the actual monkeys i wouldn't think like 28 years later but maybe they are but anyway the monkey makes its way to the united states makes it out of the warehouse like you mentioned or the quarantine or whatever uh and and patrick dempsey is trying to turn a fast buck and sell the monkey to a pet shop owner who says that he needed a male and and patrick dempsey's like hey it's a female give me something for the monkey and of course the monkey ends up scratching the pet shop owner which we know what's coming that's it's going to infect him and then the monkey actually ends up infecting mcdreamy too and i you know i was looking forward to patrick i didn't remember patrick dempsey really being in this movie i'm looking forward to seeing about his character or whatever and then all of a sudden i realize okay the monkey infected him right away he's going to be a goner and sure enough uh, in a matter of time, he's taken a cross-country flight, of course, from the West Coast to Boston, and he's sick on the flight, and Patrick Dempsey's not going to make it. Right, and he he takes the virus from the West Coast to Boston with him, because first thing he does is kiss his girlfriend and give it to her. <laughs> you know, as soon as he gets off the plane, she looks at him, he looks like absolute death. You know right. what I mean? I don't even know how he's able to, to even get off the plane. But, of course, first thing he does is they kiss each other, so she has it now, too. And that's obviously something at the beginning, which is, you know, like I said, this is kind of a suspense thriller, even though we do have some some fun with it, is that they didn't know if the virus was airborne or not, which first they think it's not airborne because they later on they go to find out that no one else on the plane had it. Right. right? And then apparently the version that ends up in Cedar Creek is airborne. That's the one, <laughs> the strain or whatever that caught the the um, animal store, the pet store that got him. And because then what happened was all the people in the hospital were getting sick and it was going through the vents into, you know, the other parts of the hospital. They obviously the other monkey that was in the pet store got it. And, you know, it was so that that was the scary part is that there was multiple strains. And once they thought that something figured out, it turned out to be a million times worse. Well, and and again, this is where uh, oftentimes you and I like to say Hollywood takes over, you Hollywood this thing up. They've got to have an airborne version of this because that's why there's going to be an outbreak. If it was simply person-to-person contact, you could find the people contain it a whole lot quicker. 
Uh, and that's that's kind of intertwined also in the script because uh, right off the bat in her first or second day of the, on the job, Robbie, uh, Rene Russo's character, has to be dispatched to Boston to deal with this Ebola-like, this Motaba virus that they're trying to figure out. And they basically determine that Patrick Dempsey and his girlfriend, Dempsey's uh, character Jimbo and his girlfriend, they're the only two that have it. Nobody on the plane has it. Nobody else has it. And they think they've solved this. They think that everything is yeah. good. So now the virus... They're almost having a party. Right, they are. They're throwing the papers in the air and hugging each other and high-fiving because they think they've solved this, you know, typical Hollywood moment. O- only we have to have the twist in the script that the virus can be airborne, so now it can affect an entire town. And again, this is when reality of 2020 is hitting for all of us across the United States and anywhere anybody can hear us that speaks English, whatever, we're dealing with it all over the world, that because the coronavirus... Uh, this, the COVID-19 can be airborne and transmitted airborne, then everybody's in danger. And everybody in every town, anybody that traveled anywhere, anybody that's gone anywhere, spreads it everywhere. So that's the real outbreak. The outbreak is the California town. Uh, pop quiz trivia, does Cedar Creek, California exist, by the way, Famous Jay, when we're talking the outbreak movie? I think not. No, it does not exist. It's actually uh, Ferndale, California, where a lot of the movie was shot. Cedar Creek doesn't exist, but that's ground zero. Cedar Creek is like the uh, the town in North Africa in Zaire from 1967 where everybody's got this. It's airborne. Everybody's getting sick, and they've got to get it contained in a hurry. And now that's going to put everybody at odds because that's going to put – um, uh, Dustin Hoffman is Colonel Daniels at odds with his boss, with Morgan Freeman, who's the general, Billy Ford, and then the major general, Donald Sutherland, Donnie McClintock. He knows what's going on here. He knows about this virus, and he knows ultimately that the only, <laughs> at least in his mind, the only way we're going to contain this is if we wipe the town out. And so all of those personalities and forces are now going to ram against each other uh, in trying to solve this as the movie unfolds. Uh, they're all about Operation Clean Sweep. They want to blow this town to smithereens, basically, if you will. And part of you know McClintock and Ford were the two that were on the plane back in the '60s that had uh, destroyed that village. And you know, for uh, to keep the virus as a use as a biological weapon, if you will. And they try to bring that you know anti serum to this town because they think that it'll save these people. But that problem is. That would have saved the two that were in Boston, but it will not save the people in Cedar Creek because this is the airborne virus. It's not the, it's a different strain. So that <laughs> biological weapon, you know, stuff that they kept is basically worthless in this case. And that's what leads to Operation Clean Sweep because also, you know, McClintock, Don Sutherland and, and Ford, who is Morgan Freeman, they're still trying to cover their backs. You know, they want they don't want to get out what they've done. So they're fine with blowing up the town and, and <laughs> You know, getting rid of everything as opposed to them getting busted and going to prison and court martialed and and everything else. I mean, and I can almost picture Donald Sutherland on the witness stand doing his Beth Colonel Nathan Jessup <laughs> when they're asking him why he wanted to blow up this town. But, you know, that's so that's essentially where where we are when when we get to the town where they're quarantined and they've got the the armed forces at every single possible exit. You know, even the exits where the people think they can get out, they stop them. Well, and remember, Daniels uh, here, he he wants to solve this. He wants to save everybody. He is essentially the idealist, uh, the practical doctor that believes there's got to be a cure. There's got to there's got to be a way that we can find this and save everybody. Meanwhile, like you mentioned, uh, Ford and McClintock, Freeman and Sutherland, they know they, they 
say, no, this is this is deadly. It's now coming back to haunt us, and we've got to we've got to do what we've got to do, uh, which is cover everything up by blowing up uh, the town. So all of that is into motion. And remember, Daniels has been ordered to stay away from it, and he goes he goes against orders and commandeers a plane in the middle of the night without any written authorization, and and redirects the plane instead of New Mexico to Cedar Creek so that he can be there on the scene. Um, and again, I, I realize that it's an all-star cast. It just seemed to me as this movie unfolds, Jay, and we and we love being honest about what we like and don't like about these movies whenever we do, we've seen that. It seemed like to me that the writing, that the script could not figure out how are we going to tie all of this together. They, they had sort of a plan. We got to tie all this together. Okay, so Daniels is there. Daniels is going to be the guy that's going to try to try to save the town medically. But now Daniels turns into like an almost superhero where he's got to go and find the cure and find the monkey and avoid uh, McClintock as the as the military uh, hawk, the war hawk that wants him dead and is chasing him in another helicopter. It's it's almost like in the in the story they could not figure out do we need several people to solve this or is Dustin Hoffman just a superhero go into the phone booth put on the cape and and take off and fly through the air with the greatest of ease and go solve it as a superhero. Well, in this story, you know, these days that I mean, granted, prior to coronavirus coming out, but I mean, your outbreak, we could have had this as like a ten episode Netflix series where they could have gone a little more in detail about some of this stuff as opposed to the fact that we had two hours and eight minutes to tell this entire story. So a lot of the serums worked a lot faster than they would. And a lot of the viruses <laughs> attacked a lot faster than they would in real life. But as he turned into the superhero, if you will, you know, part of it's because it became personal because Casey played by Kevin Spacey, you know, he ripped his, his, um, his suit. Right. And so he was infected. And then while she's trying to save him, Robbie played by Renee Russo, she uh, has the, the uh, needle out to try and give him, you know, a shot and she ends up getting infected herself. And so it's personal for him because his friend is essentially dead and his, the love of his life is dying. So he, he's out on a personal crusade. I mean, obviously as the hero, he wants to get as much of it made and save everyone in the town. But the first thing he wants to do is test it on Robbie and make sure that it saves her because she's, you know, on her way to, to bidding us all farewell. And that's part of why, you know, he he goes on TV like I kind of I alluded to earlier. He um, they figure out who the host is based off of the the pet store and where it all started. And they kind of they retrace the steps of how <laughs> the monkey was brought in. They've got the the police are interrogating the people at the warehouse and they get the security guard to completely fess up and say that he let Jimbo out with something. He's not sure what it was because it was but it was in the back of a car and it was covered up. And so they they retrace it back to this particular spot and then they figure out exactly who is who and what is what. And then that, that's when he goes on to the, he basically hijacks the local <laughs> TV news and, and shows, okay, wait, looks into the camera, wait. has the so, picture of the monkey so the and first says, thing we that, need this monkey now. Uh, yeah, the first thing that we have to establish is that Cuba Gooding Jr. is a doctor, right? He's a major, he's a doctor, but he knows right. how to fly a helicopter. And he says, I've got 80 hours in a helicopter. He, he did mention he'd had a few hours flying. Uh, yeah, he, he says, I've got 80 hours in, in this. So he supposedly knows how to fly the helicopter. But he not only he's he's like an expert on maneuvers and evasive action, which is going to be needed 
later, and they have amazing sense of direction all around California about how to be able to fly, find this, get to the pet store. Uh, I mean, again, you have to suspend disbelief, which is a line from another favorite movie of ours, Basic Instinct, which came out just before this with Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas, the suspension of disbelief. We just have to suspend disbelief that these two guys could fly around all around uh, the northern part of California Uh, skipping around to the TV station. And plus, they're the guys that end up in the home, uh, at the home of the family with the little girl that has seen the monkey. And it just happens to be the monkey that they're looking for that's been loose in the woods. And of course... she drew a picture with her crayons. Right, she draws the picture with her crayons. They see Dustin Hoffman on the news. He comes into the studio with, you know, flashing the badge. They're flashing the gun. He comes on the set with the mic holding up the picture of the monkey. And it just happens to be the one TV station where people in that area are watching and happen to be watching at that time and the mom just happens to be watching at that time again it's all it's all hollywood but they're the ones that have to go yeah, capture it was like the monkey on while she was in the kitchen she's kind of right. happened to notice it you right, know, right, it right. like she was intently watching but they have to be the ones to go capture the monkey uh cuba gooding is the most versatile military doctor of all time he can fly the helicopter he's an expert marksman to be able to shoot the monkey with a tranquilizer dart they got to get the monkey back and not hit the girl and not hit the girl they got to get the monkey back so they're flying and taking evasive action from Donald Sutherland as McClintock and the and the other experienced pilots. I mean, it just it's just grueling. Don't forget one of the best grueling. parts of the movie is he has ordered the plane to go to blow the town up. He's ordered it, and and Morgan Freeman gets on and, and says, um, Colonel Daniels, if you if you get in the path, they they cannot drop the bomb. And he's like, What are you stupid or something, Billy? <laughs> so you know, there, that, there was almost a couple of moments there. Well, where you all see these we two, should explain award winning actors kind of having fun with each other. Oh, oh yeah, we should explain. They get back with the monkey. They believe that they have the antivirus, the serum. They find out that uh, that Freeman and the military actually do have an antivirus. And so they want the time to be able to solve this medically and save as many of the town people as they want. And basically, Ford, uh, Morgan Freeman, is saying to Dustin Hoffman, Colonel Daniels, it's too late. They're going to drop the bomb. So what do they do? What do Daniels and Salt do? They jump back in the helicopter again and go up to take on uh, the the big military bomb plane that's coming at them. It's kind of uh, not unlike in uh, the second Die Hard, in Die Hard 2, Die Harder, where the helicopter pilot for the news team is with uh, John McClane, and McClane's like, take her down in front of the 747, and the guy says, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. I'm not going to get down in front of a 747. Well, that's exactly what they're doing with their helicopter. They're staying in the way. They're trying to get these guys to divert, dropping the bomb. Top Gun when Maverick says, I'm bringing the MiG closer, Merlin. You're going to do what? So, uh, yeah. Exactly. So so they, <laughs> they fly right in the path so that the bomb can't be dropped because they believe there's a medical way to solve this, an anti-serum here, an antivirus that can save the town and therefore save the state, save the country, save the world from the outbreak. And so that's the uh, that's the big moment where where McClintock is is wanting the bomb dropped. Uh, Ford Morgan Freeman's character is buying them time, and and Daniels and Salt Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. in the helicopter for about the eighth time make the daring move to save the town and save the day, so that the the medicine that the antivirus can be the saving part of this. And the reason that the medicine works is because Betsy is the host. They're, they're, they're very particular about that. The reason that her, her antibodies work is because they can create an antiserum 
from her because she was the host to host the virus. So that's, I mean, there, there's a lot of technicalities to it considering that there, that there's certainly some Saturday night live type moments in this, <laughs> but it's, you know, in, in the end, it's certainly, like I said, it, it's a, a fun, a fun movie to watch. It's very, very entertaining to me. And if you can, you know, to borrow your line, if you can suspend your, your disbelief for a little while, I think it's, it's real. Enjoyable. I wonder the, you know, the so, acting is good. We have some we have an amazing cast and they do a good job. So I wonder because the movie ends with them succeeding in getting the virus uh, under control because Dustin Hoffman's saying we're going to make leaders. We're going to make we're going to make uh, gallons, uh, vats of this stuff and ship it all over the town and put it in everybody so that they can live. Um, and so it seemed to me that, and I don't know if an alternate ending exists. I've not seen this on DVD. I don't know if there's deleted scenes, alternate ending, but it seemed to me almost like they weren't sure what the ending should be because the ending is right back with two of the main characters, the ex-husband, the ex-wife, because even, even Billy Ford, even Morgan Freeman makes fun of Dustin Hoffman and throws it in his face. That's your ex-wife that may be dead. It's not your wife. Like, well, wait a minute. We're not going to have compassion for her because she's my ex-wife. We're going to let her die in the bombing, if not from the virus. But anyway, they are essentially together in the last scene of this movie. He's in the hospital room. She's getting uh, the the serum, the antivirus put in her. And they essentially are reconciling. And, you know, once we get out of here, let's get married again. It just seemed to me... Like, is that the best they can do with the ending? Did they maybe have another way that they were going to end it? And they, they chose between two, and that was the choice. I don't know what you thought of the ending. Did you approve? Did you like it? Did it work for you on Outbreak? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a fan of the happy ending, and, and it, it was certainly a happy ending. And he, you know, to, to prove his love for her, he even took his, his mask off in, in an area where there's an airborne virus <laughs> to prove to her that, that he did not want to live without her and that he believed that, that he was going to save her. And of course he gave himself a shot of that too. So exactly. To make sure that he was going to be around to see <laughs> right. her. Right. Made come it around. a whole lot easier when we have the serum uh, to do that. Yeah. It would have been better for Kevin Spacey uh, if, uh, if they'd have had the serum a few hours earlier, uh, he might've lived and for a lot of the other uh, townspeople too. But uh, again, uh, we, we need to emphasize, we understand the seriousness of what's currently going on. This is a movie. It is a movie that was made for entertainment and talking about what could possibly happen. Um, and, and you said Saturday night live sketch at times. It's got some goofy wonky parts to it, but it does have, it does have a big time cast. I mean, for example, if, if you made me, uh, the, the writer to end the final scene here, if you waved a magic wand, I would have loved to have rather seen a scene where like numerous people in the town are on the IVs getting better, uh, that, that we see McClintock who's taken away, like you mentioned, like Colonel Nathan Jessup out of the courtroom in a few good men as, as Jack Nichols is ushered away from Tom Cruise as Danny Caffey. Uh, or I even I even think a movie that also came out that same year, probably a future we've seen that coming up here, Crimson Tide, Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, nuclear submarine, and, and Denzel basically uh, as Mr. Hunter, as uh, the XO, he decides, hey, Captain Ramsey is unfit to be in command of this nuclear submarine, so let's remove him by uh, by force and take him and put him under arrest on his own submarine. It's kind of the same thing. This movie, though, predated it with uh, with Ford basically saying to one of the 
to the underlings there um, that hey, that take was Lieutenant it, Colonel Briggs. Remember, yeah, Colonel Briggs. The whole movie, and we see and we see Briggs all the time in different military roles, whether it was under siege uh, that he was in, or another one later on. What was it? Rules of Engagement with Tommy Lee Jones, and there's Samuel L. Jackson again. He's always playing the military guys, the military guy in the spy game at the end that's run the the raid on the prison for the U.S. Armed Forces at the end of Robert Redford and. Uh, Brad Pitt and Spy Game. So yeah, the the actor that's uh, playing Briggs is Dale Dye. He takes him into custody. He takes Donald Sutherland into custody. And it's just like what happens in Crimson Tide. It's just like what happens in a, in a few good men earlier. We get that in Outbreak is my point here at the end. So would you have liked her to, to survive? Or were, I'm just making I'm sure. Fine. I'm fine. I'm fine with her to, surviving. Uh, her to not, not make it because they were too late? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I Again, they were too late, obviously, for uh, Kevin Spacey's character, Schuler there, uh, Casey. But uh, I, I would have been fine with showing the whole town is fine. It didn't just have to end with the two of them in the hospital room there, and they're trying to reconcile. I was almost waiting, Jay Betzel, for the dogs to run in there at the end, because the dogs are very prominent at the beginning of the movie. Running <laughs> right. in. I was waiting for the dogs to run in in the hospital yeah. scene. I'm just saying, I just wonder if they had another ending, and they went with that ending. That's the way they chose to end it. Two big stars, Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, ending it, fade to black. The town is saved. I get it. There's the end of Outbreak. Uh, So there we go. Do you have any other nuggets? I came up with a nugget about uh, Cedar Creek. Any other nuggets here uh, uh, for this movie? Yeah, I've got a couple of little fun facts. I've got uh, the character Sam Daniels, Dustin Hoffman played, was originally intended for Harrison Ford. But Harrison Ford passed on it, and that is part of how Dustin Hoffman ended up in this movie. Wow, uh, really? Dustin Hoffman did an uncredited work on the script, which went unused, which is, <laughs> the, these <laughs> days would probably not work that way. Um, here's a fun one that we act, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but J.T. Walsh made a, an appearance yes. as the White House Chief of Staff. We love J.T. Walsh. He was um, in one of our favorite movies, Few Good Men, Tequila Sunrise, Blue Chips. He's been in so many great movies. Loved Actually, him. Late, great J.T. Walsh. Loved he him. He was in uncredited, the... by the way. That's what I wanted to mention him. Yeah, he was uh, ranting and raving about we can't kill all of these people here with a bomb as the White House Chief of Staff. And, of course, uh, he plays uh, uh, politically and militarily. Militarily, yes. I think I think we'll go with that. Uh, very well in a lot of these movies because he's the uh, he's the XO um, as Colonel Markinson in uh, A Few Good Men underneath Jessup, the, the maniac head at Guantanamo Bay, played by Jack Nicholson. But he's also in Good Morning Vietnam as a, as a military uh, person in that, in the, in the Air Force. Uh, love the line. You know, what, is it, what does three up, three down mean, soldier? End of an inning to, from, from, uh, from Robin Williams when they're having the, uh, the battle over who's the rank. Uh, and then later on, he's playing a senator in executive decision who's trying to uh, resolve the terrorist going to fly the plane to the United States and, and blow something up in the United States. And he's a senator. And he ends up getting killed in that one. Spoiler alert. Uh, he's also in The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey as the, uh, the head of internal affairs who turns out, as we find out, another spoiler alert, to be a bad guy. So J.T. Walsh, we see him in a bunch uh, of different movies, and he does have the cameo there as the White House Chief of Staff, that's for sure. My last little fun fact I want to throw out was that this was being produced kind of simultaneously with one from, this was a Warner Brothers movie, Outbreak. 20th Century Fox had one. It was called The Hot Zone. It was going to have Robert Redford, and it was very similar. And 20th Century Fox dropped it because Outbreak was completed much sooner, and they didn't want to have two movies 
come out that were so similar. I mean, think back to like, uh, was it 87, 88 when we had uh, like father, like son and vice versa and 18 again and big, they were essentially all very similar stories. Right. You know, we, we've had many, many other examples that that's just the one that comes off the top of my head as far as some that were very similar. So rather than opting to have this come out against outbreak, the hot zone, they decided not to make it. Well, and I thought I read somewhere, too, that the filmmakers were maybe after Robert Redford, and he went with the other picture that you're talking about that was supposedly going to get made, and that that may have motivated them in part to go even faster, even quicker to get Outbreak done before Redford's movie could get out, and Redford's movie actually never gets made, so... Uh, right. And the, in fact, the outbreak, the, the one we just did was based on a book called The Hot Zone by Richard Preston. So hot zone, very prevalent in the outbreak story. All right. So uh, and by the way, uh, so let's get to what the critics had to say. And then there's also somebody who just destroyed this movie in terms of believability. But go ahead. What, what do you have for me on that for Outbreak for 1995? Yeah, I've got uh, Roger Ebert from Siskel and Ebert who was a show we love that everyone knows. Two, uh, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, etc. He loved this film. He gave it three and a half stars and kind of a little blurb. He says at the beginning is Wolfgang Peterson's outbreak is a clever, daunting thriller about such a possibility of one of the great scares of our time. The notion that deep in the uncharted rainforest, deadly diseases are lurking. And if they ever escape their jungle <laughs> homes and enter the human bloodstreams, there will be a new plague, the likes of which we have never seen. Yep. Fortunately, in this one, nobody ate any bats, so we can at least thank them for that. <laughs> well, and again, it's a, it's, a real, it's a real reality check uh, when, you, when you live in the present day like we are in 2020 at the time that we're taping this podcast. But you're right. I mean, uh, here, here it was in 1995, and we should make mention there had been – uh, huge outbreaks and plagues all throughout the 20th century, going all the way back to the Spanish flu, which killed over 5 million people around World War II, 1918, 1919. But moving forward, uh, you had an Asian flu outbreak that killed over 50,000 people uh, in the 1950s. You had another Spanish flu outbreak that happened in the 1970s prior to this movie being made. So it was not unheard of, and that's kind of where the book comes from, too, that, that an outbreak like this could happen because in the United States, it had happened. And even worldwide, uh, as far as a pandemic, it had happened. I mean, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 and 19 that we've heard so much ended up infecting over a hundred million people worldwide. It, it traveled across oceans and across continents uh, back in a time when air travel was primitive. Uh, it was obviously traveling on ships, on boats to different countries. So we've dealt with this before, is my point. Uh, but yeah, so so it's it's interesting what Ebert wrote about this, uh, and he he actually he actually did like it. I I think it's hard to knock this just because of the powerhouse names are, that are involved. You agree with that? I mean, there's so many powerhouse right. I mean, names; it's tough to knock. The purpose of watching a movie is to be entertained. It's a very entertaining movie. If you want to pick apart pretty much any movie, you can usually find something wrong with it. But you know, I mean, for for the purpose of being entertained, which is what I've been trying to do over the last couple of months while I've been quarantined in my house, basically, you know, and not been able to go out to sporting events, which is essentially what you and I—that's our, our lives yeah. revolve around. Then you know, I want to be entertained, and that—that's this movie does a good job of that. One other critic really enjoyed it. Rita Kempley from the Washington Post. She said, um, Outbreak is an absolute hoot. Thanks primarily to director Wolfgang Peterson's rabid pacing and the great care he brings to setting up the story and its probability. One critic that did not like it was Janet Maslin, New York Times. 
She said the film's shallowness also contributes to the impression that no problem is too thorny to be solved by movie heroics. So, <laughs> or by so Cuba she, Gooding she saw that Jr. Right when it, came out. it took us a little while to catch that. Or, or by Cuba Gooding Jr. flying around in a helicopter as a medical doctor and not a helicopter pilot. But yes, uh, whatever it takes to get done. Now, uh, you mentioned the movie Contagion in 2011, which that was Matt Damon, right? That's Gwyneth Paltrow also off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, okay. Jude Law, Kate so Winslet, big, big I, cast for that. I I have to say that I only saw part of that. I never saw all of that. But you've got somebody that compared Contagion in terms of movie and realism and the present day versus Outbreak, right? You got something on that? Right. It's Insider.com, and it's from, let me check the date on this, March 6th, 2020. So actually about a week before every you know everything really came to a stop in the sports world, which translated to our world. And this based this article, let me tell you what the headline says. A disease expert broke down iconic pandemic scenes from film and TV, and he said Outbreak was a, quote, mess. <laughs> so in, in this particular one, it's a video from Wired, and it's a 25-minute video where he breaks down, kind of reviews the accuracy of the way movies and TV shows have portrayed the disease outbreaks. And through that, this article from Insider.com, it's got a couple of little quips that he'd had where he mentions that um, – that contagion was very accurate and it talks about that follows the characters as the cdc struggles to find a cure for this fictional fictional epidemic called mev-1 and it's it's kind of a hybrid of the flu and a virus that emerged in malaysia in the late late 1990s so that's that's kind of where it is and it's if you are interested in seeing contagion right as as we record this it is right now on hbo on demand if you want to see it and when all this kind of started, it just it was number one on iTunes for everybody watching wow. it because it was so eerily familiar, well, you know, to, to how this stuff was happening. And outbreak, uh, outbreak almost was number four on Netflix. Contagion was, was gonna, number one on iTunes. I was going to say when outbreak, uh, when, when all of this happened with coronavirus 2020 at the time that we're now discussing, reviewing this and talking about it on the 25th anniversary. People flocked to this movie by the thousands on Netflix uh, to find it, to go back and find the work. And again, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the podcast. I had watched it one time. I did not watch it in the theater. I believe I ended up watching it like on HBO. That's the only time I had seen it until recently. So I am one of those because we were set out to do this podcast that went back and watched it while we're quarantined and while we're while we're going through it. Uh, all right. So I think that's going to pretty much do it for this one. Anything else that we left out about the 19? 95 number one in the box office what was it three straight weeks number one in the box office in the spring of 1995 outbreak dustin hoffman renee russo morgan freeman among a cast of great actors and actresses kevin spacey kuba gooding jr all of them in this movie anything else about it before we put it to bed i have one last quote from this story we were just talking about he says it's uh, speaking of 1995's outbreak he says it's pure hollywood fiction with so many flaws, you see people shaking hands, which does not occur in an outbreak area. And he pointed out a particular scene that would not happen in, this, in the video where he shows one of the doctors has on protective eyewear and the doctor next to her does not. And he says <laughs> it's one of the little details. If this were truly a field virus outbreak and this was an isolation ward, they would all have on all this protection. 
He's like, and then then it's total chaos. Some have on gloves, some don't. It's it's a mess. It's pure Hollywood fiction. Again, so if he the only, he definitely tore this one up. If the only thing that you but have like a I pro- said, if your if your goal is to be entertained, it's a fun movie. <laughs> right. If your only problem is the doctor not wearing eyeglasses, then I got to get a load of you not having a problem with Cuba Gooding Jr. flying the helicopter completely vertical like Tom Cruise you mentioned in Top Gun at warp speed to avoid being shot down just so they can get back to the town with the uh, with the serum with the antivirus so again uh it's it's out there now it's available on netflix uh you can find it probably in some other locations on demand etc probably make a comeback it is dustin hoffman it is renee russo it is morgan freeman kevin spacey academy award winners and nominees all over the place cuba gooding jr donald sutherland even mcdreamy patrick dempsey for the brief time that he is there they are all in outbreak uh, Famous Jay, I had fun with this one, and we're now off and rolling again here on We've Seen That. Uh, we're making mention of 25th anniversaries. I've got another one in mind that we should look at while we've been in these quarantine times. You know what else is 25 years old? Do tell. Uh, how about the third Die Hard? We made reference to Die Hard with, a, with a Die Harder, Die Hard 2. Die Hard with a Vengeance is also 25 years old, and that is a great place to go next on We've Seen That. Uh, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Especially Jackson. Especially since we have not mentioned Samuel L. Jackson at all on the show today. Well, right. We've only mentioned him a few times and all the different <laughs> actors that are connected all the different ways. So Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson with the third Die Hard that is set in New York City pre-9-11. Uh, where you see the Twin Towers during one of the scenes where they're running up and down uh, the streets of Manhattan. Uh, I think I think that's a we've seen that review coming up for a 25th anniversary. How about back-to-back 25th anniversary shows? I have a little time on my hands. We still don't have any sports as, <laughs> as of the moment, so I can definitely watch that one in the meantime. We look forward to doing that. Again, find him on social media at the famous J if you want to contact him. Again, our social media up and running is we've seen that on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Find the YouTube page as well. We've got videos, bonuses, previews, all kinds of things on the YouTube page that we're going to have, not just in the short term here, but throughout the next few weeks. Uh, And as we go along, find the We've Seen That YouTube page uh, as well. And we'll link to that off of all the social media uh, with YouTube videos and guests that we have. So we're going to die hard with a vengeance, I think, next time out, partner. Sounds good. I'm in. This has been the edition, though, with Outbreak Famous. Jay, thank you for spending some time with me to talk about this movie. And we thank the audience as well for hanging out on this one. Jay, we'll catch up with you again soon. You bet. Thanks, everybody. Wash your hands. Yes, make sure that we practice social distancing so that we don't end up with the Mataba virus from the 1995 movie Outbreak. Uh, That will do it here. I am merely TJ Reeves. Subscribe to the show. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Go find us on Spotify, on TuneIn. However you found this show, subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, Red Circle Podcasting, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe away. It comes in automatically to you when we have new episodes. We'll be back shortly with the next one, which will be Die Hard with a Vengeance for now. I am T.J. Reeves from my partner, Jay Betzel, the famous Jay. Thank you for being with us as we talked about Outbreak on this edition of We've Seen That. Bye.